Welcome to FOS. If this is your first time joining us, my name is Glenn, and I'm proud to be one of the conversation catalysts in the community. And we are a community creating space for everyone to find hope, beauty, and purpose in the story of Jesus. Stepping into the text this week, we're joining Matthew's Jesus to witness the effect of a promise made while bringing the stories behind the promise, the subtext to the front, so we can see how it creates meaning. A couple months ago, I was affected by a promise myself and had to wrestle with the outcome of accepting or declining the offer. My boss offered to sponsor my paperwork in order for me to stay in Canada because I'm an immigrant. This is no small gift. It would cost time, money, legal work and fees, and a document guaranteeing to the government that I would be employed. But these big promises scare me. Not because they are necessarily negative or come with a lot of strings attached, rather because they are often expressions of an implicit story arc, a particular hope that they hold an offering, because the promise is an investment into the future that the investor can see coming, shaped by the stories they tell themselves for a hoped-for future. My boss wanted to secure my loyalty, so his offer required an oath of service that I would agree to a certain amount of years that could be guaranteed work on his behalf. I became a part of their story and his hoped for conclusion to where his son would have a loyal employee for a guaranteed amount of years to help expand their business. There's a similar promise that was offered in Matthew. As the narrative builds, anticipating Jesus becoming the Christ, the Messiah, the new hoped for king. A scribe named as teacher in this passage, is the one who keeps the stories of the people and shows them how they can anticipate a particular ending to their present story. Comes before Jesus in Matthew 8, 19 to 20. And it says, a teacher of the law came to him and said, teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus replied, foxes have dens and birds have nests but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. The promise, I will follow you anywhere, may not have been as open-ended as it seems. It was a promise shaped by a particular expectation and came with strings attached. The historical arc, the narrative that brought, described this moment before Jesus, began in 164 BC, where Judas Maccabee led a revolt when he saw a foreign emperor sacrifice a pig which was forbidden in the Temple of Jerusalem at the altar of Yahweh. In doing this, it, it sparked this righteous indignation. He raised arms and slaughtered the enemies. Having purified Jerusalem, their eyes expand, and he actually in 160 leads an army to purify the Samaritan temple there, who pulled from the same sacred stories, the same Pentateuch or first few books that describe the people, but they're on a different mountain. This started a dynasty for about 100 years until Rome came and took over. And so coming to the current time, Judas became a popular child's name as the people anticipated the next revolution, the next time that by sword we would be free. The biblical arc even anticipates this some. If you've been joining us in the soap reading, then about a week ago you would have read Psalm 58, where it goes over a few points of them saying, our enemies are surrounding us. Everything we hope for is just out of reach. But at the end, it makes a proclamation. It says, the righteous will be glad when they are avenged, when they 
when they dip their feet in the blood of the wicked. The people will say, surely the righteous still are rewarded. Surely there's a God who judges the earth. So the scribes promised to Jesus his yes was uniquely conditioned and held strong expectations. Yet, even with the wrong story bringing him to Jesus, but his closed table and his limited yes needed to be challenged. His yes could not hold space for the centurion that you would have heard about a few verses prior. However, that's the nature of the ancient storytellers. They play stories next to each other so that when you heard them together, it would bring the point to the forefront. So Matthew placed the centurion story a few verses earlier, and this one of the scribe coming before Jesus together, mirroring the structures in order to add weight to the last lines. Let's hear them again together. In 8.5, when Jesus had entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him, asking for help. Lord, he said, my servant lies at home paralyzed, suffering terribly. And Jesus said, I'll go and heal him. And the centurion, recognizing power, seeing Jesus as an extension of his own position, said, I understand what it is to have power and authority. You don't need to come to me. I'm not worthy. Just say the word, and my servant will be healed. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed and said to those following him, Truly I tell you, I have not found anyone in Israel with such great faith. I say to you that many will come from the east and the west, and will take their place at the feast with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. Coming to our story again. When Jesus saw the crowd around him, then a teacher of the law came to him and said, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus replied, Foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. <clears throat> Let's lean into those last two lines a little bit. To the centurion, I say to you that many will come from east and west and will take their place at the feast with Abraham in the kingdom of God. Jesus is anticipating when all things would be right, you would have an expansive view. They would hear all peoples would join. But when he replied to the scribe, he says, foxes have dens, birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place. It may not be immediately obvious because what does feasting with Abraham have to do with foxes and birds? Jesus sits between the armies of Jerusalem and Rome, between Herod and Caesar, to set a table for the kingdom of God to celebrate with both the centurion that was honored and the scribe, the symbol of the oppressor and the symbol of the perfect oppressed insider. And having the two stories side by side, we notice something where the centurion has a give and take, where Jesus responds to him and he responds back, and then Jesus has that proclamation of the kingdom of God that will come. The story with the teacher remains unresolved because we don't know if the teacher moves towards Jesus or away. We don't know how he answered the challenge of Jesus, the one who would say, but the Son of Man, the one you hope to join, has no place. Yet Jesus exposes the stories of coercion, violence, and war so that the insider, the scribe, could wrestle with them and their inherent ending where the righteous dip their feet, celebrating the enemy's blood. Jesus begins to write a new story by offering him a seat with one who has no place. 
no position, no capital to challenge the fox or the eagle. The teacher's story is left unfinished to enable us to answer for him within the communities that we build. If we took a moment to pause, a moment to read ourselves into the character of the teacher, what did you say yes to when you promised to follow Jesus? The story I was raised with that strongly shaped my yes was the fear of hell's fire. I came to Jesus because I was asked, do you know where you'll go if you die tonight? I was eight years old. I didn't know what I was having for dinner that night. So the scope of heaven, hell, death, and life afterwards was a bit beyond me. But this shaped the way I asked questions and the way I entered into faith. Because once I learned the story, which was repeated in so many places, because we would have evangelists for children in our town come through that would tell the same story, but with puppet animals, say, do you know God's coming to send you to hell? Come to us. The enemies are out there. Join us and you won't be the enemies. The centurions are there. We're the proper insiders. And we didn't have table for the other. You can only be in or out. Affected the way I was able to even process my family's divorce. Because when Beth, my mother, left the family, and I was still within that community that saw the story arc about heaven or hell, whether you're gonna burn or not, I actually wept. Because anytime I saw my mom, I couldn't process any other way. And I would weep saying, Mom, I don't want you to go to hell. Because what I knew was that the only thing Jesus cared about was the good, the bad, heaven, hell. The only thing Jesus cared about wasn't the table in the middle. It was about control. But as I sit in these two endings of the centurion and the scribe, we see that Jesus set a table between Rome and Jerusalem in order to invite all people from the east to the west to join. Jesus called us to set the table in anticipation for a feast, to join a party, not to curate the guest list our tradition signs off on. However, when I said yes originally, I was saying yes to a guest list, to a way of avoiding punishment, rather than creating community where scribes and centurions can sit down and dialogue. Luckily, like the scribe in the story, Jesus revealed without condemning the story that brought me before him to give me the chance at writing a new ending, one that honors my first yes, but frees my imagination to dream about a more expansive community, one with enough room at the table for all the stories which brought us here, and enough grace for each of us to have the ability to write a new ending together.